It is so good to be with you. This is a special day. We're so excited that we are launching our Fountain Hills campus today. We're having our grand opening, and I want to say welcome to everyone in Fountain Hills. We're so pumped that you're with us. Uh, a lot of effort, a lot of time and prayer, and, and it's gone into this, and now it's here at last. We've got three campuses meeting around the city today in Mesa, at South Mountain, and at Fountain Hills. It's kind of surreal in some ways that this is actually happening, uh, but what God has started, no one can stop. And we believe he has great things in store for Fountain Hills, just like we've seen him change lives at South Mountain and in Mesa. I believe the best is yet to come. How many of you believe that? Well, I'm, before I get into this message today, I want to talk about beautiful conference that's coming up. This is for all the ladies, all the single ladies, no, all the ladies. I'm really encouraging you to prioritize being at Beautiful Conference. We don't have a lot of extra events at our church, so when we do, they're worthwhile, they're beneficial to you. Uh, so ladies, if you're new to the church, maybe this is your first week, or maybe you've been coming for years and you've never been to anything like this, I want to really encourage you to prioritize it and to come to Beautiful Conference. It's going to be a great time for you to be encouraged and refreshed and meet other ladies in the church, get connected. Uh, so it'll really help you to feel like you belong. And a lot of you, your wives, your moms, you're working and you pour so much out for others. This is an opportunity for you to be refreshed yourself. So I want to encourage you to go and make it a priority. If you're really busy and you're like, I don't got time for a whole weekend full of church. If, if you have to choose going to this conference over going to church on Sunday, it's that important. It'll be really helpful for you. Uh, and I know some of you are like, I'm not really used to having to register for something or pay for an event. Like, why would I do that when I can go to church on Sunday for free? This is a different type of event. It's special. It's fun. We're throwing out all kinds of the stops, making it feel good for the ladies that come. And uh, I, I want to do this. I, I didn't tell Pastor Amy I was going to do this, but if you register today and you end up saying it wasn't worth it, it wasn't worth the money, I'll give you your money back. So you've got nothing to lose, no excuses. Uh, I want you to be there. I believe it'll really be beneficial to you. And if you're a husband, right, if you've got a wife, um, encourage her to come. Tell her, yeah, I got the kids. We're going to get pizza. We'll be fine. We'll survive. Uh, oh, I want you to go and, and have this time for yourself to get recharged because, guys, it'll pay off. It'll pay off letting your wife have this time. Uh, I think it's really important. So be there and prioritize it. You will not regret it. Well, we're in a series right now called Life After Death. And in week one, we talked about heaven. In week two, we talked about hell. And then today, I want to talk about the end times and the return of Christ. There's two types of responses when you hear that we're going to talk about this. Some of you are like, yes, I've been waiting for this. I've been hoping you would talk about this, Pastor Ryan. And others of you are freaked out already. You're like, oh, no, it always gets so weird when we talk about this kind of stuff. I'll just be honest. From a strategic point of view, today being the launch day of Fountain Hills, this is a really weird subject to start out with. <laughs> It's definitely not the ideal sermon to start out with because we're going to talk about some stuff that's kind of controversial. There's a lot of different opinions about these matters. Uh, we're going to talk about some stuff that's offensive even. I'll, I'll be honest, if you are new to our church, if you want an unoffensive church, if you want a pastor that doesn't step on anyone's toes, I am not your guy. <laughs> 
just, it, it, it's not that I want to step on anyone's toes, but I just want to speak the truth in love. And honestly, I'm not trying to win a popularity contest. I'm not worried about getting reelected. I just want to teach you what the Bible says so you can be blessed. So today we'll offend the liberals, maybe the conservatives too even. Uh, I'm not really uh, worried about uh, whether or not everyone agrees with me. A lot of these matters we're talking about are what I would call secondary issues or open-handed issues. So you could disagree or have different positions on some of these things and still be a part of the church family, and we can all get along and love each other. Amen? Amen. I believe this will be helpful, and we shouldn't be scared to talk about anything in the Word of God. That's the bottom line. Today we're going to talk about the end times and the return of Christ, starting in Matthew 24. It says, Later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come." Wow. Some of you might already be thinking, I came to church to be encouraged today. This is not what I signed up for. Well, we're talking about the end times, and I believe that we're living in the end times. How, uh, what leads me to say that? Well, in that passage, Jesus lays out some of the signs of the end times. So let's talk about those, some of the signs of the end times. How close are we? I don't know is the answer. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And anyone tells you that they do know is wrong. Is it coming soon? Depends on your definition of soon. Every generation of Christians have felt, I think, like they were close to the end. Uh, Growing up, I heard a lot of Christians say we're living in the end times. And especially in the last couple hundred years, Christians have really sensed these feel like the end times based on what we read in scripture. I know that we're closer than any generation that's lived before us. That's what I do know. Some of the signs Jesus talked about, false teaching. He said, many will come saying, I am the Messiah. Now that doesn't literally mean they'll say, I am the Messiah or that I am Jesus, but Messiah means savior. So they'll come as a type of savior promising to save people from their problems. And so it's not hard to imagine what that might look like. It could be kind of a political leader. And you think about what politicians do when they're campaigning. If you vote for me, I'll fix your problems. If you follow me, I'll lead you into prosperity. And then there are religious leaders who've come on the scene that promise that they have the truth, that they have a special truth. 
And as we get closer to the end times, that'll pop up more and more. In 1 Timothy 4, it says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Teachings that come from demons. That's not what you want, is to believe teaching that comes from demons. So what kind of teachings might that look like? Well, one of the most basic ones that go back to the beginning of Christianity is the false teaching that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. That's one of the original false teachings. He didn't really rise from the dead. That's a myth. That's a fairy tale. Or or people will say, he didn't physically rise. He lives on in our hearts. And, And that's false teaching. Without the resurrection, there is no hope for us. Uh, We see other types of false teaching today. I think critical theory is a type of false teaching that is demonic. talks about tearing down authority structures, that you don't have truth, uh, that you can create your own truth. It's condemning. Another type of false teaching is affirmation of sexual sin in the church. There are all kinds of apostate churches in the world today and denominations that have openly gay and lesbian priests that are performing gay marriages. That's demonic, false teaching. Mormonism is an example. It says you can become your own God. That goes right back to the Garden of Eden where Satan tempts Adam and Eve and says you can be like God. Here's a little hint. Anytime someone promises you can be like God, eh, that's false teaching. That comes from demons. So uh, some of people, here's what the Bible says. Some Christians, some people are going to turn away from the true faith. And I just want to get real. I want to be a little confrontational right now because I love you. Um, Some of you today know so little of what the Bible says that you are very vulnerable to false teaching. The way to guard against false and deceptive teaching is to know what the word of God says. And I can't tell you how many times I've met someone, they started going to church, maybe they don't really know what the Bible says, and some random video starts playing on YouTube, and next thing they know, they're like, huh, that's an interesting idea. I've never really heard that before. And they don't recognize it as false teaching because they don't know true teaching. Know what the Word of God says so you can guard your heart against that, because I know you don't want to be one of the ones who falls away from the truth. Amen? Amen. Jesus says there will be wars and rumors of wars. That kind of thing is happening all the time around us. It's been happening, and we see that it ramps up nation against nation. And the threat of war, it's always in the headlines. That's nothing new. Uh, Jesus talks about there will be increasing earthquakes, kind of like the earth having labor pains for the the return of Christ. And it's really interesting to me that scientists from different geological backgrounds all report that the frequency and severity of earthquake, earthquakes has been increasing significantly since the beginning of the 1900s. Just interesting. Uh, Jesus talks that there will be in- increasing persecution. Uh, his people will be persecuted. He talked about that, being arrested, being hated, being persecuted, and even killed. Now, this has been happening, again, since the beginning It's happening today more violently in other parts of the world. Like, for example, in the Middle East, there are Christians who are killed and they're brutally killed for following Jesus. In America, it's a nation that was founded on Christian values, so 
uh, that hasn't happened to the same extent. But you can see how the cultural tide is shifting against Christians. And some of you have started to experience that in your workplace or at family gatherings where people mock you and belittle you for your faith. And I think based on what the Bible says, this isn't trying to be negative or doom and gloom, but you can just clearly read that that is going to ramp up. So whereas some of you might have been made fun of for following Jesus, there could come a day where you face losing your job for following Jesus or losing property or your home or your business or even your life for following Jesus Christ. I think that even in America, eventually, the Christian faith, especially the true Christian faith, uh, as it is described in the Bible, will be labeled as hate speech, uh, as radicalism, and as domestic terrorism, even. Revelation 20 describes how in heaven there will be Christians, will be believers, who had their heads uh, cut off for following Jesus, for refusing to worship the beast and take his mark. And so I think it is helpful for us, although it's not pleasant, it's helpful to think through this scenario. What if I faced persecution for being a Christian? What if I faced losing my job, losing my house, or even losing my life? What would I do? In Revelation 13 it says, This means that God's holy people, that's you, must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. We must remain faithful no matter what. Now, some of you are like, yeah, no matter what. Yeah, I would, I would remain true. And others of you might feel like, man, I don't know what I would do. Like, I didn't even want to come to church today. My wife dragged me here like, like I don't know what I would do if I faced losing my life. Would I really choose Jesus over keeping my head? And maybe that whole concept is like really scary. So I want to encourage you uh, in this um, some of you might be scared thinking about facing persecution. It makes me think about this. Like I talked to a dad one time, a guy who had a child with really severe special needs. And I was like, man, how do you do it? You work hard, you love your wife faithfully, and then you spend so much extra time and energy and, and you sacrifice so much taking care of your son with special needs. And he said, you know, if you had asked me before we had our son, I would have said I could never handle this. But once I held my son, it was like God gave me the grace I needed to be his father in that moment. I want you to understand this, that if you were to face persecution in that moment, I believe that Jesus would give you the grace you need to endure. In fact, he told his disciples, he said, when you're arrested for following me, don't, you don't need to worry about what you're going to say when you're standing trial. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. So when you think like, well, what would I do if I faced losing my life? I believe that if you're a born-again Christian, although some people might turn away, if you're truly a born-again Christian, God would give you the grace you needed in that moment. And here's what I, I think. I think God will give you grace to face the fire, not before you need it, but when you need it. That's why you might think about something like this and be like, I don't know what I would do. But I would point back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow down and worship the idol of Nebuchadnezzar, and they faced being thrown into the fiery furnace. And, you know, they didn't wake up that, that day like, man, I think I'm going to, like, stand up today and, and get thrown into a fiery furnace. That was not one of their New Year's resolutions. Like, I'm going to be persecuted this year, and I'm going to show everyone. But in that moment, faced with the decision 
they had incredible courage. Where did that courage come from? Not them, but the spirit of God in them. And God would do the same thing for you, that if you were actually in that moment, I think he will give you the strength to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Amen? So I think we should prepare ourselves for that. Another sign of the end times would be something like a one world government system. The Bible doesn't use that phrase specifically, one world government, but it implies that something like that could exist. I'll read you a passage from Revelation 13. It might sound a little obscure to some of you. It says, And the dragon gave the beast, or the Antichrist, his own power and throne and great authority. So Satan's going to give the Antichrist great authority. They worship the dragon for giving the beast such, such power, and they also worship the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? And all the people who belong to the world worshiped the beast. Uh, we see evidence in Revelation and throughout Scripture that in the end times, the Antichrist is going to have incredible power to control commerce, buying, and selling. And so you might wonder, like, well, what would cause the nations of the world to unite? Probably some type of emergency, some type of catastrophe. That would be so bad, people would be desperate for anyone to lead them into better times. There will be some type of united government system. And, and so I don't want to freak, un, freak out unnecessarily about this. I remember when the European Union formed, people were like, oh, that's a one world government. It's like, probably not, okay? <laughs> but this is just something that could happen. On that note, let me talk about the mark of the beast. This is something that gets asked about a lot. Uh, anytime I ask you know, people, like, what, what are your questions about the end times? The mark of the beast is one of the most common questions that come up. So let me talk about it a little bit extra in this message. Revelation 13 says this. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. That sounds familiar. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Watch, it says, Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Okay, so the mark of the beast. The Bible says wisdom is needed here, and that's the key. We need wisdom because it's potentially confusing. The Bible goes on to say that anyone who takes the mark of the beast is going to be condemned to hell. So it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> it's probably not going to be labeled like mark of the beast 24-7. Come on in. Like you need wisdom. And, and here's the key. Wisdom comes from God. And it's easier to have wisdom the more you know what the Bible says. So I want to help you with this because uh, there's a lot of foolishness around this issue among Christians. I remember one guy, uh, we were checking his kids in for kids' church, putting those, those name tags on the kids, and he didn't like it. He was like, I don't want that UPC code on my kid. That's like the mark of the beast. I was like, bro, <laughs> no, it's just, it's just a check-in label. Like, and then when I was younger, I remember growing up, people were like, social security numbers, that's like the mark of the beast. It's like, no, it's not. I mean, and here's the new one. 
the vaccine, people are like, that could be the mark of the beast. So let me, let me talk about that for a minute. This is, this is the thing where people were like, you shouldn't talk about this. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just gonna a little bit. <laughs> so, so people are like, the vaccine might be the mark of the beast. Uh, it's being required. And there's all kinds of concern about that. I, heard, I saw one like, you know, fake news article that was like, it could have a microchip in it. It could be the mark of the beast. And it's like, I, I just want to explain this. It's not. Okay? It's definitely not the mark of the beast. So on that note, when it comes to the COVID vaccine, we do not have an official church position on that matter. Because it's not something that we need to have a church position on. And you don't have to have a position on every issue. I'll just say this. Generally speaking, I think vaccines are great. I think they're gifts from God. And they prevent a lot of suffering that previous generations just had to deal with. Uh, and I want to say, if you don't want to get vaccinated, or if you do want to, I'm not, not going to judge you. That's a personal decision. And we support you making personal decisions for your own health. It's not an issue at our church that we're going to be divided over. Now, lately, I've heard from a lot of you who feel like you're being forced to get vaccinated. And on one hand, I can really see why that would be upsetting to some of you. Others of you, doesn't, don't, you don't feel like it's a big deal. Um, but however you feel about it, uh, it's not something that we need to really freak out about. It's definitely not the mark of the beast. And I'll explain that a little bit more here in a second. But what I really care about when it comes to this issue is just as your pastor, I don't want you to be unnecessarily scared about something that's honestly probably not that big of a deal. I don't want you to let a spirit of fear control you or creep into your heart. So I want to encourage you to guard your heart against fear. Let the Holy Spirit give you wisdom about what's right for you and for your family. And then here's the big thing. Let's not judge each other or gossip about people or talk bad about people who have different convictions on this matter. Amen? Amen. 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 <laughs> we see today how uh, technology can make all these things a lot more uh, possible to take place. Like, for example, I don't know if you're familiar with like an RFID chip. It's in a lot of things today. You can scan things really easily. Uh, I know in recent years they started putting these uh, chips in people to contain their medical information. It could, could carry your driver's license. It could carry your credit card information. Some people have looked at that and have said, that's the mark of the beast. Not, not necessarily. It's just technology. I think it would actually be really convenient personally, like not losing my wallet, having to worry about it anymore. But some people would say, like, that's scary. That scares me. Something like that scares me. And I would just say, you probably don't need to be scared about it. If you let the Bible inform your opinion about these things more than blogs on the internet, you wouldn't feel scared as often as maybe you do. So I told you, I'm like, step on everybody's toes today, just a little bit. Uh, so what do we know about the mark of the beast? Okay, it's some kind of symbol. Maybe it could be a tattoo, either on the right hand or the forehead, either the name of the Antichrist or his number. It'll be, here's the big thing. It'll be required as an act of worship and devotion for the Antichrist. So if you're playing the game, is it the mark of the beast? The big, like, the first question you should ask is, does it require worshiping an antichrist? If not, 
it's not the mark of the beast. Without it, we know you're not going to be able to buy or sell. People will lose that ability completely. So it could be something tied to technology. We know how easy the government could shut off your credit cards and your bank accounts. It could be something that doesn't have anything to do with technology. I don't know. It could just be a tattoo or a symbol. I don't know. But we do know the Bible says it'll be the name of the beast or a number representing his name. Uh, those who take the mark of the beast, the Bible implies, will never be forgiven. They will all go to hell. So I want to give you some comfort about that because I know that's kind of scary. Here's some comfort for you. Nobody is going to get the mark of the beast by accident. Why? How do I know that? Because God is a good God. Jesus is a just king. And he's just smarter than that. No, no one's going to stand before Jesus on judgment day and be like, Lord, I really loved you, but I accidentally got the mark of the beast. Dang it. Like Jesus is going to be there like, ooh, so close. You were totally saved in everything. And then, ooh, that was the mark of the beast. Bummer, bro. Like that's not going to happen to you. That's not going to happen to anyone. It'll be very clear. Anyone who takes the mark of the beast, they will know that they're choosing to worship a false Messiah and they're rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. It's going to be very clear what's happening. So just hopefully that gives you some comfort. Like no one's going to trick me into getting the mark of the beast. Ooh, bummer. Not going to happen. Amen. Another thing we see in times, sign, nation of Israel will be restored. And that happened in 1948. This is a big deal. For the first time since AD 70, Israel became a nation again. And that's really significant because Israel is mentioned often throughout end times prophecy. It goes back to the beginning in Genesis 17. God said to Father Abraham, I will give you the entire land of Canaan. That's Israel and all of its land. Where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants, it will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. This shows why the Palestinian struggle to take land from Israel is pointless and sad, because God has given that land to Israel, and you don't want to fight against God. As Christians, we should pray for and support Israel. God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That means that in any conflict that might arise between Israel and anyone, I'm standing with Israel. If it's between Israel and the Palestinians, I'm standing with Israel. If it's Israel and a political party, I'm standing with Israel. Israel versus the world, Israel. Every time. Because God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And there are Christians who say, well, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that. I'm like, if you want to take that chance, good luck. But I'm going to bless Israel because I'm a simple man. And I just take the Bible at its word. Uh, what role does Israel play in end times prophecy? A special role. There are some Christians who they propose, uh, propose what's called replacement theology. And what that means is, it's the idea that the church of Jesus Christ takes the place of Israel in end times prophecy. So that when the Bible talks about Israel, it's God's people. It really means the church. I don't, I don't personally uh, subscribe to that. I reject that. I think that Israel has a special place as God's chosen people. The promises to Israel endure. 
But what Romans 11 talks about is that as Gentile believers, that's us, those of you who are non-Jewish believers, you're a Gentile, uh, we are grafted in to the chosen people of God. Like a plant is grafted in. Okay, we're grafted in. That means we share in God's promises to Israel, but we don't take their place as God's chosen people. But we are chosen by God. We're grafted in. So I'm happy to be grafted in. I'm happy. Whatever gets me in, I'm happy. Amen? Like, I'm just glad to be here. But Israel has a special role. And if you go back throughout history, Satan has relentlessly tried to destroy the Jews. He thinks that if he can kill God's chosen people, then he can kill God's plan. So Pharaoh tried to kill the Jews. Old Testament nations tried to kill the Jews. King Herod tried to kill the Jewish boys under two. Hitler tried to kill the Jews. Uh, In the 20th century, the Muslim nations around Israel have pledged to wipe it off the map. They tried. They failed. Because God's promises endure, the nation of Israel will endure. And that's a little bit of a a warning sign. Like any time a nation or a political party or an organization opposes Israel and the prosperity of Israel, that's like a warning sign, like a red flag that they are aligned with the devil who also wants to destroy Israel and oppose their prosperity. That's not very politically correct, but it's biblically correct. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) So we see these signs. Jesus is coming again, and we must not lose sight of that. This is important. There are a lot of Christians today who do a really good job preaching about the resurrection of Jesus, but sometimes they forget to talk about the return of Jesus. And the good news, the gospel, is not that Jesus died and rose again. It's that he died, rose, and is coming again. Don't leave that last part out. It's really important and it's really good. Uh, So we don't want to lose sight of that. The Bible says that in the last days, some people will and many will start to doubt it. In 2 Peter 3, it says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. So basically, people are going to come mocking this idea that Jesus is going to return. They're going to say, where's he been? Like, what's going on? What's the holdup? He's had 2,000 years to come back. Why is he taking so long? Is he even coming back? I don't know. The Bible tells you that's going to happen. In, in, in fact, uh, since Jesus has left, it's easy now that so much time has gone by, to, to wonder about that ourselves and ask a question like, well, when is he coming back? I know a lot of you, maybe you, you've grown up, you've grown, you've grown older, and as a kid you were hearing about Jesus is coming back, and now you're old and you're like, well, when, when is it going to happen? I, heard, I thought the end times were upon us. Well, here's what the Bible goes on to say. Same chapter, verse 8, it says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. So a day is like a thousand years. A a thousand years is like a day. You think about this. God is eternal, 
He's always existed. What's a thousand years to him? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus rose and ascended into heaven. To us, that seems like forever. To Jesus, it's nothing. And so he's not, the Bible says, being slow as you think of slowness. He's being patient. Here's what he's being patient for, for you. For you, because you are someone who was selected, who was chosen, appointed to be saved by Jesus, and he's not coming back until all his people come home. The Father has a list. He's checking it twice. He's waiting for you to sign up and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? Like He's not coming back until John is saved, until Susie is saved, until Jessica accepts him, until all those who were appointed to accept him do, then when the right, when the, when the number is, when it's all the people, they're there, they're accounted for, he's going to say, okay, it's time. And so I think on one hand, it's okay to be like, man, what's taking so long? I'm ready. On the other hand, thank God he waited for me. Thank God he waited for you. Uh, God gave us signs to indicate the end is near, and they are interesting, they are important, or else he wouldn't have included them in his word. So we should take note of these signs of the end times, but this is where I give you a word of caution. Some people get so caught up in end times prophecy with their charts and their graphs, and they got like strings on their walls like serial killers. And they're always like at their life group talking about, oh, do you see there's a blood moon? Or, oh, do you see what the headline said? That could be the Antichrist. That could be the mark of the beast. I read this one guy who said the end is coming. It's so weird. Don't be that guy. It ruins the life group. Like they'll, they'll be like, oh, like, don't be that weird person who is obsessed with the end times. And so I want to say this. Don't get sidetracked. This happens often that people get caught up in end times prophecy and they're always taking the headlines and they're trying to interpret them and correlate them with revelation and and they get totally sidetracked. And a lot of times these people that are so obsessed with the end times, they stop serving, they stop giving, they stop inviting people to church. A lot of them stop going to church altogether. They're just so focused on, they're obsessed over this end times whole industry that exists. In fact, this is, a, this is an economic industry. There's a lot of people predicting this and predicting that, and they've got a book for $29.99. They've got the answer about when Jesus is coming back. This is one book that came out in my lifetime, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. You know, when it didn't happen, dude just released a book the next year 89 reasons why, oh, I got one of the calculations wrong. Here's 89 reasons why it'll happen in 89. There's a whole industry of people promising they know when Jesus is coming back. But Jesus said in verse 36 of Matthew 24, concerning that day and hour, what does it say? No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. A pastor doesn't know. A dude on the radio, on TV, they don't know. A guy with a blog, he doesn't know. He might have all the charts. He might have all the numbers. But the Bible says no one knows. I think when that dude wrote his book, you know, 88 Reasons, maybe Jesus was going to come back that day. And then God was like, well, now I'm not going (laughs) to. Because no one knows. 
Yeah, man. So here's, here's something I want to hit on. When will he come back? When will he come back? Uh, there's a lot of debate about will he come back before the tribulation, called pre-trib, in the middle of the tribulation, mid-trib, or at the end of the tribulation, post-trib. And this is something that can be really kind of contentious in Christian circles, and people will debate it a lot. Like, are you pre-trib or are you post-trib? I don't. I, I remember people just really getting fired up about this. Like, I'm not gonna be friends with those pre-trib people. They're all just like living in fantasy land. And I'm not gonna be friends with those post-trib people. They're all so super negative. Well, what 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 should we be? I think we should be pan-trib, which is where you just sit back and wait to see how it all pans out. Right? Like. <laughs> In all reality, like, I kind of lean towards, like, a pre-trib way of thinking. I think there's scripture verses that can support all those positions. That's why they're debated, because you could make an argument that's, like, you know, pretty, pretty decent for different positions. Personally, like, I want to be friends with lots of post-trib people, because they're the ones that have all the guns and the food stock piled up. You know, like, I'm going to come to their house if they're right. <laughs> but, like, anything, you know, I want to hope for the best and be prepared for maybe the not best case scenario. The bottom line is this, and here's the official generation church position, Jesus is coming back. That's the bottom line. Jesus is coming back. When exactly? Not sure, but I know he's coming back. In Luke 19, it says, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. And having called ten of his servants, he gave them ten pounds of silver and said to them, do business until I come back. This is a story meant to illustrate truth for us even today. Jesus is the king who went away. And he's going to return. And in the meantime, he tells us, do business until I come back. On one hand, man, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that he's going to return. I don't want to forget about it. I want to look forward to it. But I want to make sure that we all stay busy doing the Lord's business. And a lot of people, they get really obsessed with end times prophecy and charts and headlines. And they get so caught up in it because they aren't staying busy doing the Lord's business. If they were busy doing the Lord's business, they wouldn't have time to get caught up in all kinds of conspiracy theories and charts and headlines and prophecies, right? Like, we know he's coming back, and in the meantime, we're supposed to serve, we're supposed to witness, we're supposed to give, we're supposed to help build Jesus' church so that more people can come and be set free. Don't stop doing business. Preach the gospel, serve one another, love one another, teach your kids about Jesus, build the church of Jesus Christ, and look forward to his return. In Revelation 22, Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And the church says, amen, come Lord Jesus. That's the kind of attitude we should have. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Amen. So let me close with this. Here are 10 irrefutable facts about the second coming of Christ. Real quick, I'm going to read them to you, and I'm even going to say this. Uh, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Some of you are so dignified. You're too dignified. So I'm going to read these facts, and at the end of each one, you can just say, amen. Amen. That means I agree. It means let it be. It means yeah. Like, so I'm going to read them, and then you can respond. First, Jesus himself will come again. Amen. 
we will meet him in the air. He will come with power and great glory. He will gather all nations and judge them. He will be given the kingdoms of this world. All who are in the grave will hear his voice. Every eye will see him. He will destroy the Antichrist. Every knee will bow. And then last, you can speed up the coming of the Lord. Some of you are like, I can? (laughs) I didn't know that. It's true. Matthew 24, Jesus said, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. So you can actually speed up his return by preaching the good news to all nations of the world, by making sure that everyone knows about Jesus. And you do that by telling, by giving, by serving. And as we tell everyone, we're speeding up, we're hastening the Lord's return. What the Bible makes very clear is that you want to be ready for his return. You want to be one of his people so that when he comes back, your, answer, your, your, your response is, oh, yes, not oh, no. <laughs> Everyone who loves Jesus is going to be real excited to see him. All those who oppose Jesus are going to be real sad to see him. So you want to be one of his people who look forward to the coming return of your king and of your victorious savior. You need to make that decision before he comes. It's going to be really good for all of his people when he comes. It's going to be really bad for all of his enemies when he comes. So like the question is this, are you ready for his return? Are you you looking forward to his return? I know when I was young, I was like a 16-year-old virgin, and I was like, not yet, Lord. (laughs) Don't don't come before my wedding night. (laughs) You're great and all, but I'm not ready. Now as a pastor in 2021, I'm like, it's time. Let's go. (laughs) Come, Lord Jesus. You know, we should all look forward to his return. Uh, And I want to ask you that. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm going to ask you just to do this. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. If you're here today and you say, I want to be ready. I want to be ready for his return. You can be ready. You can know you're ready for the return of Jesus if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. It's not just going to church. It's not getting baptized as a baby. It's not just taking communion, but it's actually accepting Jesus as your king and giving him your life and choosing to follow him. And if you're ready to make that decision today, you want to know, I mean, I'm ready for whenever he comes back and I'm looking forward to it. Then I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me at South Mountain, at Fountain Hills, in Mesa, online, wherever you're at. If you pray it, if you mean it, then God will hear it. He will receive you. Your name will be written in the book of life. And you'll become one of God's chosen people. So if you're ready, just say this. Say, Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to become my king. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe you rose again. I look forward to your return. I thank you for loving me, and I ask you to help me live for you and do business until you come. In Jesus' name, amen.